Thanks for checking out the Vox Church podcast. We are so honored to have you join us, and we hope this message speaks to you in a powerful way. Learn more about Vox Church by visiting us online at voxchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Oh yeah, you made it to church. Come on, put your hands together. Every living room, every bedroom. Welcome to Vox Church. If you're new to church, my name is Justin. Thank you for joining us. Aren't we excited to worship Jesus today? Oh, I'm telling you. If you were a part of our micro church services this past Sunday, thank you. Thanks for being a part. We gathered in 15 different services, nine different locations across Connecticut and Massachusetts. Isn't that awesome? And then we had thousands and thousands of people join us online as well, which is always a joy. And so next week, everybody say next week. Next week, next week, if you're sitting there in your family room or wherever you might be right now, make sure you're a part of next week's services. We can fit more people because some of the changes in some of the regulations. And so some locations, you don't have to pre-register. Some you do. Make sure you go online, learn all that you got to learn, and then be at church in person next week. We're also using some really important materials right now. And just in case you've gotten a little confused about what these are, this is our daily devotional, okay? And so we've been doing this every day. And the goal here is to get alone with God and to spend some time studying the Bible and praying every morning morning and every evening. So if you have not gotten this, you can get it at our micro church services coming next Sunday, or you can get it online at our website. This is available. Okay. The personal Jesus devotional. I encourage you do this with us, walking through the gospel of John, studying various parts of the scripture. And then this, you may have seen also, this is our core material. All right. And so we are gathering as a church right now in tiny groups, three or four people of the same gender, getting together on a regular basis to go deeper in our faith. So if you've not yet built a core group, join one, figure it out, find a couple of friends and then register on our website and we'll get you this information and you can start meeting in that very small group and going deeper in Jesus. If you're with somebody, your husband, your wife, your friend on the couch, turn to them right now and say, I'm so glad you came to church. Come on, just tell them. I'm so glad you came to church. We're in a teaching series right now called personal Jesus. And you know, I think that maybe never in our lifetime is there a more urgent need for us to get personal with Jesus because we're living in crazy times and it's time to draw closer to Jesus and really seek his heart. Last week, we talked about the need for firsthand knowledge, right? Not just secondhand religion, but firsthand knowledge. And today I want to teach from a passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 17. I'm going to read nine verses. This is actually a text I've never taught before. And uh, as I studied it this week, it was just coming alive in my heart. So I hope it's an encouragement to you. It starts in verse one, Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse one. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. That's good news, right? That tells us, like many other passages of scriptures tell us, that tells us that after you die in Christ, you're not dead. And so here these two come talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up some three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen 
to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell down, face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Come look at the person next to you and say, he's going to touch you today. Jesus came and touched them. He gave them a touch from heaven. He said, get up. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the son of man has been raised from the dead. If you want to jot some notes down today, right in your home and everybody joining me here as we worship Jesus together, title of the sermon today is recognizing Superman, recognizing Superman. You can write those two words down on a piece of paper or in your phone, whatever it is that you take notes on recognizing Superman. Come on, let's pray. Father, I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need you today. We just humble ourselves and we draw close to you right now in our living rooms, in our homes, wherever we're listening to this. We draw close to you. Jesus, I pray that you would reveal yourself, that you would unveil yourself and that we would recognize the work of your spirit in us and through us all around us, that you would draw us closer to you today. In Jesus name, we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Have you ever wondered how it is that he got away with it for so long? The greatest superhero in the superhero universe somehow has been able for generations to disguise himself with just simply a pair of glasses. Have you ever wondered about this? How it is that Superman can one minute be Superman and the next minute put on a necktie and a pair of glasses and no one picks up on the mystery? I mean, it's just one of those things. It's like, okay, Clark Kent and Superman look identical. He doesn't have plastic surgery. He hasn't put in a cosmic fog around himself. All he has is a pair of glasses. And yet Lois Lane, who's madly in love with Superman, has no time for Clark Kent, right? Lex Luthor, who wants to kill Superman, will befriend Clark Kent. He doesn't pick up on the simple truth that it's the same person in a very basic disguise. Has that ever bothered you? I don't know if anybody else just, I can see you all at your homes everywhere. Just raise your hand if that's ever bothered you. If that's ever bothered you, it's bothered me. I really can't see you all, but it's bothered me for generations. It's been annoying, you know, when you watch superhero movies with Superman, it's like, come on, are you kidding? Don't you realize that's the same guy? How is it possible to work and to live and to interact with Clark Kent every single day and not recognize who he really is? Well, the story of Jesus, as you encounter him in the gospels, I think carries a little bit of the echoes of the Superman phenomena, you know, that he is the life of God. He is the word of God. He is God incarnate. And yet it seems again and again and again, people don't recognize him, right? In John chapter one, it talks about the word, right? If you've ever read John chapter one, hopefully you read it a few days ago on our reading plan in the book that we're reading together. But as you read John chapter one, he says in the beginning, there was the word, right? And the word was with God and the word was God. Now the apostle John in writing this was making an instant connection to the Greek culture because many Greeks, most Greeks at that time believed that the world was really at a, at the core, at the center of the universe, there was an intangible power, a force that really held everything together, that really kept everything unified. And they called that force 
logos, which in the Greek is the phrase for the word, okay? And so the logos was this impersonal power that many Greeks believe really was the essence of life, the essence of where life came from. But they didn't see that impersonal force as something that could be known. They saw it as something that could be a principle that could be applied. But now here John starts his book and he says, in the beginning, there was this power. There was this logos. There was this force, but it's not just a power. It's not just a principle. This logos is a person. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He's the one who designed the cosmos. It says that he's held, he's held everything together by his power. And yet this word became flesh. This is what Christians believe. We believe that God, the one who created and designed all of the universe, actually became human. I love the way that J.I. Packer, one theologian, puts it. He says the really staggering Christian claim, look at it with me, is that Jesus of Nazareth was God-made man. Here are two mysteries for the price of one. The plurality of persons within the unity of God, that is a mystery, and the union of Godhead and manhood in the person of Jesus. It is here in the thing that happened at the first Christmas that the profoundest and most unfathomable depths of Christian revelation lie. The word became flesh. God became man. The divine son became a Jew. The almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. It's amazing that the creator of the universe, the designer of the cosmos came to earth in disguise. He came to earth in disguise and shockingly, so many did not recognize him with a pair of glasses on. So many walked right by. Now, by the time Matthew chapter 17 comes around. The disciples have already begun to conceptualize who he truly is. They've realized that he's not just a great prophet or a great rabbi. And Peter, the previous chapter, makes this great confession. He says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. He has this concept. He says, I know that you're more. But it really wasn't until they reached the mountain, Peter, James, and John, that it says there, He was transfigured before them. And I was stuck on that phrase all week. There, he was transfigured before them. Because I think that for many of us, this is exactly what we lack. That in our daily function, we're still treating Jesus a lot like Clark Kent. We accept the claims of Jesus. But are you living with a sense of awe? Are you living with a sense of wonder? Are you living with a heart of true worship? I wonder, right where you are in your living room today, right here in this room, has Jesus been transfigured before you? Do you find yourself caught up with a sense of awe, with a sense of his majesty? We're told in the text that the first thing is that his face shined like the sun, right? He's describing what it was like to be there on the mountain, to see the son of God transfigured before them. And it says his face shined like the sun. Have you ever looked at the sun directly? I know you're not supposed to, but most of us have, right? I mean, at some time in your life, you probably were like, I'm just doing it, you know, and you did it. And, and scientists tell us it only takes a few seconds before permanent damage can actually be done to your eyes. So I'm not suggesting that you do that. But just imagine what it was like in that moment for a man's face to begin to shine at that degree. I mean, throughout the Bible, different people's faces shine. There's angels whose faces shine. Moses's face shines. Even Stephen in the New Testament, his face shines 
shines angelically, but this isn't like that. Those were more like a heavenly glow. This was not a reflection of some great source. This was the source itself. Jesus is life. He was shining with this incredible brightness. And it says his clothes became bright. And it just, you know, so pure. This speaks of his holiness, that he was so pure that there was no motive, no action, no thought that was unclean. And then these two other people appear, right? Moses and Elijah. And at first, that's kind of weird. I mean, imagine this, you know, this re-experience of these guys. You know, it makes me think of like the Star Wars movie where Obi-Wan comes out to talk to Luke and he kind of has that glow about him. And he's like, Luke, it's, I'm back. And, you know, and he's like, they have conversations and, and then Yoda shows up. Like, this is what I'm seeing in my mind when I read this passage, you know? And so these other guys come up. We know that Moses represents the law and that Elijah represents the prophets. And so Jesus, by allowing these two people to show up with this conversation on the mountain, is showing us that really Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, that the law and the prophets find their completion in him, that the 613 commands of the Old Testament and the 300 plus prophecies that describe a coming Messiah all come together in this one man. And then a bright cloud appears, right? And you can imagine that that's pretty wild because clouds are typically dark, but this is described as a bright cloud. It's the same description used in the Old Testament where the cloud of God's glory appears. And that's what this cloud represents, the glory of God. And it's there to show us that the God who is infinite, the God who is omnipotent, the God who is transcendent, the God who is holy is now human. What a wonder. What a mystery. I love how N.T. Wright puts it. He says, look at this. How can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human, that fire has become flesh, that life itself came to life and walked in, the, in our midst? Christianity, check this out, either means that or it means nothing. It is either the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality in the world, or it's a sham, a nonsense, a bit of deceitful play acting. Most of us, unable to cope with saying either of these things, condemn ourselves to live in the shallow world in between. I wonder if in your spiritual conception of Jesus, you have permitted yourself to live in the shallow world in between, that you've not been enraptured by his majesty, that you've not been captivated by his glory, that you've not found yourself in times of singing and worship stunned by the mystery of God incarnate. Come on, somebody. He wants to stir your heart to a place of worship today. Has God ever been transfigured? Has the person of Christ ever been transfigured before you? Because when he has, when you begin to see his glory, I'll tell you this, a number of the confusing aspects of our faith start to work themselves out. They start to make sense. I love what Hebrews chapter one says. It says that he, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. And look at these next two words. And the exact imprint. Everybody say exact imprint. He's the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So you might be confused about how God feels about something, about how God thinks about something, about what God will do about something. Friend, anytime you find confusion in those moments, go back to Jesus. Jesus Christ is perfect theology. He gives us a picture of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And what we need to understand is that this whole story is operating on multiple levels, that this is a parallel of an Old Testament story in the book of Exodus chapter 24. 
God reveals himself to his people. And in that story, it's Moses and three friends that go up to the mountain. And we're told in that story that it's, they wait six days and then they go up to the mountain and the cloud appears. So similarly in this story, Jesus and his three friends wait six days and then the cloud appears as they go up to the mountain. But the first response of Moses and his companions in Exodus 24 was absolute and sheer terror. They were terrified because it wasn't a pretty little cloud coming from heaven. It was lightning. It was fire. It was terrifying. And so the first thing God commands Moses to do, this is important, in Exodus, the first thing he commands Moses to do when he's up on the mountain is to build the tabernacle. To build the tabernacle. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that the building of the tabernacle is a pretty nuanced and complicated process. There are many, many, many specific instructions. And it's on the mountain where Moses goes, where he sees the cloud of glory, that God gives him a blueprint for the tabernacle. And he gives him all these specific details, okay? There has to be these three chambers. You have to wash. You have to make sacrifices. All this. And you do all this because as human beings, we have sin in our lives. And sin separates us from a perfect and holy God. And so the tabernacle tabernacle becomes the buffer zone between God and humanity. The tabernacle becomes the place in which you can purify yourself in preparation for his presence. And so all the details of the tabernacle are laid out in Exodus 24, 25. And what we see is that this tabernacle is actually a picture of our relationship with God. First, it's trying to tell us that God is holy, right? And I think that many Christians have actually forgotten this or misplaced this. God is perfectly holy, so holy that he sees every nuance of your sin, and that sin separates you from him. And the wrath of God, the justice of God, must come upon sin. And so there's a separation between us and God. And though our theology sometimes ignores it, our conscience can't get away from it. And so every one of us carries this sense of shame at times, shame for past failures, shame for mistakes we've made because internally we know that sin separates us from God. And so we see in this that God is holy in the tabernacle, but also in the description of the tabernacle, we find out that God is king because it's described as a place where royalty would stay, where there's gold and purple and beautiful things. And so God must be treated as a king. If you're ever to know God personally, which is what this whole series is about, he's got to be the king of your heart. He's got to be the center of your life. You've got to give him control. I'm talking to somebody right now, of your future. But there's something else that we have to learn from this experience that Moses had on the mountain when he encountered God. And that when God gave Moses a description of the tabernacle, many people have not noticed that it was actually a reflection of another place. That it was a physical picture of the Garden of Eden. That just as Eden was entered through the eastern gate and a cherubim guard the door, so also the tabernacle must be entered through the eastern gate with the cherubim at the door. And the Garden of Eden was really marked by two key places, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And in the tabernacle, you have this great lampstand representing the tree of life, and you have the law representing the tree of knowledge. And so this tabernacle is a picture of unbroken fellowship with God, just as it was in Eden. In other words, God's saying, I want relationship with you, but we need a tabernacle in order to 
fellowship. Now, Peter, James, and John in Matthew chapter 17, they knew this story. They were good Jews. They knew the story of, of, uh, of Moses and going to the mountain and how he gets a tabernacle. And Peter doesn't know what to say. And so awkward Peter, like he usually is. And if you're here today and you're one of those people that you kind of speak out ahead of yourself and you end up putting your foot in your mouth, be of good cheer. God still used Peter, right? And so if you're sitting next to someone like that, just say, I'll pray for you. You can just turn to him and say, Hey, I'll, I'm praying for you. It's going to be okay. I'll pray for you. God will still use you because God still used Peter because Peter doesn't know what to say. And some of the other uh, versions of this story tell us that he didn't know what to say. And so he says, it's good that you're here. I'll make you three shelters. Now that's a strange translation because the original word there in the Greek is tabernacles. Okay. So he says, let's make three tabernacles. See, he knew the story of Moses. He knew that the going up to the mountain, God gave him the blueprint for tabernacles. So he's trying to like make a connection and he doesn't really know what to do. And so he immediately hear me today runs to an old tradition when God's trying to do a new personal work. And I think that for many of us, this is our propensity when it comes to understanding what it means to know God. That just as soon as someone says, hey, you can know him, there's something uncomfortable about that because it's not something we can control. And so we defer to our traditions. We defer to our rituals. We defer to, well, can the pastor bless me? Or can this thing happen in this particular order? Or can we go through this ritual? And listen, traditions and rituals can be helpful, but what you need to understand is where we're going in this series over these six weeks, tradition and ritual will not be enough. You need a personal encounter with Jesus. You need firsthand knowledge. He wants to whisper to your soul. He wants to awaken your heart. He wants to captivate your passions. He wants to show you not just that he's a God, but that he's your God. Not that just he can be a friend, but that he's your friend. Not that he's the present help to some, but the present help to you. You can know him like that. Friends, stop settling for rituals and and traditions when God's calling you into intimate communion and union. See, the story of Moses and the building of the tabernacle is all pointing to something greater. I want to show it to you in verse 5. It says this. It says, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice came from the cloud and said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. His disciples heard this. They fell face down on the ground, terrified. Jesus came and he touched him. He said, get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. I love this. God interrupts Peter's religion. He's like, hey, let's go back to tabernacles. Let's do it again. Let's build a shelter right here because that's what Moses did. So we're gonna have to do that. So come on, let's do that. And God just totally says, shut up, Pete. This is my son. Look at my son. Peter, you're on the right track, but you're missing the point. See, just as God gave Moses a blueprint for the tabernacle on the mountain, so God is giving us the true blueprint for the tabernacle here, a new Eden, a place of fellowship, a place of contact. And he says that place of contact is not a place of contact. That place of contact is a person. It is Jesus himself. See it. Because this story is not just a parallel of Moses in the Old Testament. It's also a parallel of God's ultimate plan to bring you close. Because you know that Jesus didn't just go up on the Mount of Transfiguration, but that he also would climb another mountain, right? See, at this mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus revealed himself in glory. But on the next mountain, it was a revelation of shame. 
On the Mount of Transfiguration, his clothes were turned as bright as light. But on Mount Calvary, he was stripped naked and his clothes were rationed off to Roman soldiers by casting lots. See here on the Mount of Transfiguration, he's got Moses on his left and he's got Elijah on his right, two of the greatest men to ever walk the earth. But on Mount Calvary, as he hung on a cross, he had a thief on his left. He had a thief on his right, surrounded by the lowest of low, the scum of the earth. See, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter was quick to speak. He said, it is good for us to be here. But when Jesus goes to the next mountain, Peter's nowhere to be found. He's hiding. He's denying Jesus. See, on the Mount of Transfiguration, a bright cloud enveloped them. But on the Mount of Calvary, a dark cloud overshadowed them because on the Mount of Transfiguration, everyone heard the voice that said, this is my beloved son of whom I am well pleased. But on the cross, Jesus cries out and there is no response from the father. All he receives is sheer and utter silence because this is the tabernacle of God where God and man can meet. And that tabernacle is the sacrifice of Christ himself. So where Jesus lost his glory on the cross, he gives us invitation into his glory through that cross. And it says in verse seven, but Jesus touched them. I love that. Because I feel like for me, that's the whole gospel in a single phrase. But Jesus touched them. He came He made contact with humanity. He died on the cross, paying the debt for my sin. Washing me clean, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he sent forth his spirit so that he could complete what he prophesied through his actions on the Mount of Transfiguration in making your heart the tabernacle of God. He was giving us a new blueprint on that mountain. And the blueprint was Christ. That Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. To them, God has chosen to make known the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. And this has so much relevance for our lives Because when you start to grasp his greatness, that he is God incarnate, that he is the creator of life, that he is the sustainer of all things, omnipotent, transcendent, omniscient, that he is God and there is no other, perfectly holy, perfectly just, perfectly loving. When you begin to grasp his greatness and then you see it alongside his nearness, you discover that inside of you, there already is more than enough power to overcome. Overcome that addiction. Overcome that fear. Overcome that darkness that's been trying to swallow you, trying to lie to you, trying to tell you that there's no hope, trying to tell you that you should give up. It's interesting to me that Matthew, the writer of this text, places this story 
between two other stories. Just before this, Jesus is describing to his disciples how he needs to suffer and die. And just after this, he comes down off the mountain and there's a demon-possessed boy and his disciples are unable to heal the boy. And so right in between the suffering of this world Christ describes and the suffering of this little boy that's happening live in real time and the disciples can't handle it, right in between there is this moment on the mountain. Right in between, there is this experience of transfiguration where the disciples get a glimpse of who he really is and what he's really capable of and what he really came to do. And then they're right back in the sludge, right back in the pain, right back in the suffering and the sorrow and the unanswered questions. And I felt like the Holy Spirit had a word for you today as you've been going through this devotional with us, God willing, as you've been starting up this core group, God willing. And as you're seeking God and saying, you know what, Justin, over these six weeks, I'm going to go after God in a whole new level. I'm going to go after God in a whole new passion. I feel like the Holy Spirit wants you to know that if you find yourself in a valley, if you find yourself in the middle of a mess, if you find yourself with unanswered questions, that he wants to, in the midst of that, pull you up onto the mountain, show you who he really is, show your heart what he's really capable of, and reveal to you the power that lives within you right now. Take you to a place where you realize who's behind those glasses. That you realize the God you've been singing about is a whole lot stronger than you thought he was. That you realize that the God you've been praying to has a whole lot more of a plan than you realized he had. That you start to recognize Superman. And he's not just out there and he's not just with them. He's in here. That Christ in me is the power of God, the wisdom of God, the life of God, the joy of God, the victory of God. That no matter how alone you feel, listen to me today in your living room. You're not alone. It's a lie that no matter how distant you feel, feel. He is not distant. He is close. Call on Christ now and he'll bring you up to that mountain. He'll show you himself. He'll be transfigured before you and you'll start to realize if God is for me, who can be against me? I can't overcome. I have more than enough because he is my present help in time of need. I pray he takes you to a place where he touches you and you look up and like the disciples, you see only Jesus. Only Jesus. I love that many, many years later, Peter writes a letter to the churches. In 2 Peter chapter 1, he goes back to the mountain in his mind. He reminds himself about his experience on the mountain. I love this. I want to look at it with you. In 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 12, he says, So I'll always remind you of these things, even though you may know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as the Lord Jesus has made it clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Listen to me today. First, he wants you to realize that the truth of Jesus Christ is strong enough to sustain you. That the one you've trusted in is not a fairy tale or a myth. He is a present God, available now. That you have not put your hope in something or someone who can't come through. 
And if you're in the valley right now, he wants to pull your heart up onto that mountain. Did you notice in Peter's little passage here how he referred to his own body? He said, as long as I live in this tent. I love that Peter stuck that in there because that word tent is the Greek word for tabernacle. And I think maybe most of the readers never caught it, but I think Peter learned his lesson that day that God doesn't need you to come up with a new ritual. He doesn't need you to come up with a new religious expression. He needs you to remember that inside of you, there is the spirit of the living God, that you are the tabernacle of the eternal God and that Christ went to great lengths to show you that he is strong on your behalf. Right wherever you are in your living room, in your kitchen, in your bedroom, would you do something with me today? Would you stand to your feet? Those of us that are here, I just want to invite you to stand to your feet. You guys can stand. Let's just take this moment right now. Close your eyes. Bow your head. Let me ask you, has Jesus been transfigured before you? Is it possible that your problems have looked far greater than his power? Is it possible that your perspective has been flawed and you've been living in the valley fighting demons, not standing on the mountain watching his face shine like the sun? Has Jesus been transfigured before you? If you find yourself now with a small view of God and a big view of your problems, ask him right now to forgive you. Just say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I've lost sight of your glory. Are you living today with an awareness of both his power and his nearness? Or is it possible that you've lost sight of the God who comes close? Behold, I stand at your door and knock, says the Lord. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him and he with me. I stand at your door and knock. Whether you followed Jesus for 30 years or for 30 days or wherever you find yourself in your faith journey, even now in your home, wherever you are as you watch this, just say, Jesus, come in. Be stronger than my fears. Be stronger than my doubts. Jesus, come in. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that even through this TV screen right now, that even through this computer screen right now, that the power of your Holy Spirit would take hold of the hearts of your people. Lord, forgive us for allowing our view of you to become far too small. And I pray that you'd give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that our hearts would be enlightened and open to the truth of what and who dwells in us. God, that we would begin to see ourselves as the tabernacle of the living God, that we would begin to become cognizant of the nearness of the God who has forgiven our sins by climbing up on that second mountain. Lord, I pray that even now, if you could be so intentional about every minute detail like you were in that text, I pray that even now we would be assured that you are so intentional 
about every minute detail in our lives, that you care. Come, Holy Spirit. With your head bowed, I want to invite you right now to turn your life over to Jesus. If you're watching this right now and you are far from God, he calls you by name now. You can have relationship with your creator. You can have peace with God, but you must place your faith in Christ. Turn from your sin. Give him the keys to your life. I want to lead you in a simple prayer right now, wherever you are. Say, Jesus, save me. You can ask him right now. Come into my life. I believe you died for my sin and rose from the dead. Today, I surrender. And I give you my heart. Wash me and make me clean. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer, I want you to text the word Jesus to the number on the screen. We're going to be praying for you. I want to pray a blessing over our church family. And I want to urge you to be at our services October 11th, next Sunday, all across the various locations. We can't wait to see you then. Father, I thank you for your people. And I pray a blessing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Fox Church seeks to reach New England and beyond with the life-transforming message of Jesus. If you have been impacted by this message or the ministry of Vox Church, you can continue to help us reach others by giving today at voxchurch.org forward slash give. For more information on how to get involved, visit us online or on any social media platform at vox.church. We always appreciate you taking the time to rate or review this message on iTunes. Thanks again for listening to the Vox Church Podcast.